need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another China Business Cast. This is episode number 72. I think this is the hardest intro I've ever made. Um, I'm actually now starting to uh, record the intro for the fifth or sixth time because I don't have Mike with me here. Mike is now at, a, at an event called Dynamite Circle. That's in Bangkok. And he's also being really busy with his conference uh, called uh, Cross-Border Matchmaker, which is going to happen next week. So uh, he asked me to do the intro today by myself. And uh, later on, you can listen to the episode. So uh, Mike, good luck with all your work and the things that you work on for the entrepreneurs community. That's going to be next week, the October 27th. That's that's his conference. And you can check it on Global From Asia website. That's uh, Mike's website. As for myself, I'm now in Lisbon with the family. My wife's company, we're meeting here for the week, which was a really, really nice week. We're here with my daughter. And now we've decided that we're going to stay here. We've also decided we're going to stay here for until mid-December. So I'm going to be broadcasting from here the next few episodes uh, from Portugal. Next week, we intend to do some traveling. Um, and later back, uh, we'll be in Lisbon back for the Web Summit, which happening starting on November 6th. So if you have, if any of our listeners are around and for Web Summit coming from Portugal or coming from overseas, please let me know. And uh, we'll be happy to meet. Um, you can get in touch with me through WeChat. That's uh, my WeChat is Shlomoef. That's S H L O M O F. Or send us an email to hosts at chinabusinesscast.com. I've been also been working hard on new venture I have, and uh, finally I can announce it. And this one is called Free Financial Self. And to be frank, this is something I'm very, very passionate about, not because it's new, but because it's something that uh, I'd like to do for the past um, 10 or even 15 years. You know, sometimes people say that uh, you should work in something that you're very passionate about. Um, but A, passions are hard to find, like what you're really passionate about. And the other thing is that making uh, a business out of it is even harder. So I think I'm in the right direction and uh, building this new business over the past, as I said, 15 years, I've been a personal finance and financial goals advocate towards reaching financial freedom. Uh, I mainly spoke about this with friends and family and tried to help with that and been doing this for myself on that period. So Free Financial Self is about helping other entrepreneurs realizing their financial goals and building a plan towards the financial freedom. This is uh, what I've been doing in the past few months and now I'm glad to announce it. So if you want to check it out, that's freefinancialself.com. So go ahead and check it out. We'll be glad to hear from you. Also, it's a really good opportunity to acknowledge our a few of our supporters. Um, we have supporters through our Patreon campaign. We already have uh, a few and you can check out uh, some of their names on our China Business Cast Hall of Fame. They are uh, helping us support the show and we're really happy about this and really appreciate it. So yeah, you can check those supporters. And if you guys uh, care about the show and you like it, I also invite you to have a look at our Patreon page and maybe uh, pledge some yourself. We have uh, different 
tiers with perks and just choose the one that fits you. So I encourage you to go to chinabusinesscast.com slash support and that would take us to our Patreon page. Now let's go on with the show. So today we have Elise Rebonds and she's an American entrepreneur. She's a writer, a businesswoman a playwright who lives and works in Beijing. There are really uh, nice videos of her doing uh, Chinese operas. You can check those out on YouTube. Uh, she's known in China in her Chinese name, Liu Suying, and she spends time on corporate work and media work. She writes columns, uh, nationally syndicated radio, which is a CRI, China Radio International. She has a show there uh, called La Wai Kandian. And uh, she has regular news and media appearances and uh She's all, she also appeared in movies. She's the founder of Gaily Giving, which is a non-profit in China, which is something we're going to discuss about, but not only. She's also contributed and authored a few articles for Forbes on business, culture, and life in China. So on with the show. So hello, everybody, and welcome to another China Business Cast. This is Shlomo speaking, and today we have Elise Rebonds. Hello, Elise. Hello. Great having you. So just on a very short description of what you do, as right before our, our this interview, we had a chat and you told me that you were wearing, wearing many hats. So I'm just going to list mm -hmm. maybe two or three of those. So you're the CEO and founder of Gaily Giving. You are an actress, you're a playwright, you're a writer, and you're an, uh, an entrepreneur. But mm -hmm. why won't you introduce yourself, kind of what you've been engaged with with recently? Well, um... Pick something. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm also a host. I have a big media presence in China. So I often um, emcee events, which is useful for my business consulting side of my, my career path, because then the more CEOs get to know me and uh -huh. like what I do. Um, but it's also an excuse to travel all over China. And I think um, one of my biggest uh, jewels in my crown is that I've been to every province in China and um, mm -hmm. uh, self-governing districts. And uh, I really have a good feel for the country as a whole, places that you've never heard of, many places that Chinese people have never heard of. <laughs> I've been and I've lived in and seen and worked in. And big events in China is government, usually. Yeah, government, uh, weddings, as well as a lot of corporate events, mm -hmm. and then tourism. Tourism is fun because I never have to lie, right? When I do tourism things, uh -huh. I can just focus on the, the interesting things, the things I like, rather than, you know, some forms of, you know, these events. Like I once did, an M I emceed for a medical supply company once. Mm -hmm. um, the materials they gave me before I got to the event were very different than what they were presenting when I was there. And I, I felt it was a little morally reprehensible what they were selling because they were saying that this thing could cure a heart condition or whatever. And I'm like, that's obviously false. There's no metal science here that you're quoting. It's just a machine you made and you're, you know, it's snake oil. So mm -hmm. I, I am more picky now when I, <laughs> when I accept events because it is my face on the stage. You know, I don't want to be promoting something that I don't agree with. What's the name of your um, show, by the way? Um, so I've got a couple of shows in the works right now. The latest one is called And that's uh, Have a Drink with Elise. And then my other radio show is called And it's uh, usually a Russian gentleman, a Chinese gentleman and myself discussing current news and events. Always fun. Always fun. <laughs> okay. Well, no, the best thing about it is that you start the conversation knowing that we, we all think each other is wrong. 
knowing, not even assuming, but we know for a fact that we totally disagree with each other. But actually, by the end of the half hour show, we've we've found our common human. uh, Yeah. And we can once you understand the other person's perspective, it is so much easier to discuss an issue in a way where everyone can at least agree to disagree rather than just not even being on the same plane of logic. Mm -hmm. So I plan on using this technique someday to solve peace in the Middle East. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was about to ask you if you're working on the uh, world peace uh, uh, program or something like that. Yeah. So I guess I'm right. I, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I I read in an interview, another interview that you had, that you consider yourself actually half Chinese. Um, how do you express that then? Well, in the sense that um, so many things about me culturally, I've already ascribed to Chinese. Uh, philosophies. So for instance, I don't drink ice water anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Unless it's like a really hot summer day. I just don't like it. It makes me feel cold and uh, makes me feel unhealthy. I prefer my water lukewarm or hot, like probably <laughs> hot, you know? Um, so I'm so Chinese that way. That's very Chinese. And other things, my family, they're, they're just, they laugh at me because I deal with problems sometimes in a very Chinese way, which is how you survive in this country, you know? You can't apply Western logic. Is this kind of being vague on stuff? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> but, but also it's like, you know, being raw again, um, you know, like, so walking around an issue rather than tackling it directly. Uh-huh. But, um, I find that one of the most interesting skill sets is I've learned a lot of Chinese feminine soft power. So I fully believe that women run the world in China, but you, you see that like in the, uh, Politburo and everything, it's all men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think Chinese women have become very good at convincing their husbands that it was their idea to do this or their idea to do that. When really it was the woman who was, you know, making all the decisions <laughs> from the get go. Is there a, there, there wise Politburo, by the way, you think? Uh, oh, there's, <laughs> there's tea clubs. I've been to some meetings. Okay. Not even kidding you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I just wanted to address briefly, you mentioned Gaili giving. Uh-huh. Um, Gaili. It was the uh, my first real startup. And like 90% of other startups that unfortunately failed. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadly, it was due mostly to the fact that the Chinese NGO law that came out last year made Gaili illegal because I'm a foreigner and foreigners cannot be involved in charity fundraising in any way. Mm-hmm. specifically with charity fundraising. Foreigners can be involved with NGOs, but in a very limited capacity, but raising funds and suggesting where Chinese people should be donating money um, is considered a very sensitive area. Okay. So it just became very difficult for us to, well, we'd have to wait for about two to three years to get the license to even work officially. And even then I had friends in the Chinese government who contacted me who suggested I walk away. Really? <laughs> and usually when... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I just as a coach Strongly that everyone, well, just like as advice, like, you know, at least this is going to be more and more sensitive. We know it's going to get worse. So you should just, you know, walk away now. I see. Um, why won't you, when we start and, and you, you tell first our listeners who don't know Gaily giving what that is mm-hmm. and what was the purpose of that? And also why you started it? Where, what gap you saw? So I started it because China at the time, um, in 2014, when I was surveying the, the problem on the world giving index was number 128 of 131 countries in terms of giving. And yet mm-hmm. it's the world's second largest economy. So that gap is huge, right? Because yeah. 
not just that Chinese internal problems need more donations, need more financial support, but the world does. So if Chinese people, the Chinese government don't have a philosophy of charitable donations, it has massive effects for the world at large, as mm-hmm. well as for China. So I think that by creating Gay Li, which was a uh, an app to connect Chinese people to um, sort of more of active charitable donation campaigns where they could donate a, a small amount of money mm-hmm. and see where it gets spent in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So rather than donate the money and then see it get spent over years, so you don't really know what project it was spent on, to have a real finite you know, correlation between this 10 RMB I'm donating now is going to fund this library being built in this city in Yunnan, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about being very active and engaging, playing games, gamifying the whole system, the whole concept. So when you donate, you get 10 points just for donating. And again, it's small amount. You can't donate more. You can only donate that one amount. And then you get more points for telling friends. And then if those friends donate, you you get more points again. And that went up to four levels. So mm-hmm. that really, at the end of the day, it was about engaging your network, um, engaging your friends and getting everyone to participate together. Um, and then being rewarded, not just with winning little prizes or things, but actually by seeing the results of your donation in a completed project. So following up, having real connectivity with people through social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we won an award with the Stanford Ignite program. Um, we won later on Demo Day for China Accelerator. And then we, we won an award with the Kunpeng Social Enterprise Accelerator here in Shanghai as well. But in the end, it was just, you know, too sensitive. So I, I, I gave the tech to other charity fundraising organizations, Chinese organizations Mm -hmm. that I felt were very transparent and very good. And they've started to use it or use variations of it successfully. So that's made me happy that at least I was able to fulfill the social side of my goal, even if financially, not so much, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was a really wonderful learning experience and it definitely proved to me that I had the entrepreneurship bug. I've already opened up two other companies. (laughs) One is a, um, sort of like a, a guest house slash tea house down in Jiangxi okay. in Lichuan Village. And then um, a uh, Gong Fu Cha, like Gong Fu Tea brand called Lotus Lane, which I'll be exporting Gong Fu Tea to America. Because I also specifically, read that you're opening a yoga studio somewhere. Uh, I am also working as an advisor to um, <laughs> a, an Indian group that's opening up a kind of more philosophically based yoga studio in Shanghai. Us entrepreneurs doing 10 things at once. Yeah, I mean, I I used to feel bad about my lack of focus. But now that I've gotten onto a better system of, you know, reminding myself, for instance, on Mondays, I focus on this particular business. Mm-hmm. You know, on Tuesdays, I'm, I'm also helping my uncle. He's a very famous water garden artist in America. Okay. So I've been helping him to do branding because he was just connecting with his clients personally which is so limited versus once you start branding, he's gotten, well, it's still contract hasn't been signed yet, but he is looking at signing a very big, very, very big contract with um, a very large American city to renovate their water gardens, which would be amazing uh, because he, he does it without the use of chemicals. He manages to keep, he uses his patent pending biotech, you know, really just plants, mm-hmm. getting plants to work together to keep the water clean, which is possible, but you have to 
you have to speak with the plants. But either way, I do that on Tuesdays. And then on Wednesdays, I work on the tea. Once I've gotten that, that, you know, systematic like process down, I have gotten much better because before it was a lot of wasted time, a lot of running around. So but, Tuesday's um, podcast yeah. day? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's very funny that. Um, but you know, what's really interesting is, you know, I was just reading Shoe Dog. Have you read that book? No, uh, I haven't, Phil Knight's heard of it. book from Nike. I loved it because I felt like I was the worst at a couple of things as a as a a manager of a company. You know, I was not as good at communication as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. And then I see that he was even worse than me, right? And yet he built one of the biggest brands on the planet. And it's because he just trusted in in people's skill sets and let them kind of run with it. They, he didn't need to be micromanaging. Yeah. But as a startup founder, because we use this word startup, we feel like we need to be so much more involved. And that's actually not true. What you, all you need to do as a CEO of a startup in particular is hire really smart people <laughs> who are really good at what they do and then just communicate with them on a, a vaguer level, a, a bigger level, and let them worry about the details, you know? Right. Because once I, I, I mean, literally the second I finished reading that book, I made three new hires for three of these different projects I'm working on. And oh my gosh, it's gotten so much easier. And it's just like, yay. So recommend it to all young entrepreneurs or old entrepreneurs, whatever. Um, I totally agree. Say no to, say no to uh, micromanagement. And uh, yeah, Uh we we have a, we have a a question about book recommendations. So we're going to add that, but Mm. uh, that's, that's going to be towards the end of the interview. Okay. Um, you've mentioned mm-hmm. the China Accelerator mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you a bit about the experience there and how that helped develop Gailey. Although now you said Gailey is, is somewhere else, but still the process is very interesting for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, it was the Stanford Ignite program that really developed Gailey. Okay. So we went into China Accelerator, China Accelerator with a really strong foundation because we'd already had some of the world's best professors looking over our idea hammering out the kinks. So I feel fundamentally that the business basics were good. The tech was not great. And the legal system we were working in in China obviously failed us in the end. But um, business-wise, that, you know, the the professors from Stanford are so amazing. It was wonderful how much time they gave us in the Ignite program. So when I transitioned from that, because we had done that in uh, the fall of 2015, no, 2014. And then beginning of 2015 came down to Shanghai for the China Accelerator Program. Mm-hmm. It was a very different place because some of the other teams had more developed products, but because they hadn't had that business, um, the business fundamentals ironed out, a lot of problems happened even just during those three months. And they weren't able to make as much use out of the mentors, I think, in a lot of cases, because they just didn't know the the basics as fundamentally i guess now some teams did really well and they just you know their their companies are doing fantastically now so i think the process for me the most valuable part was actually the mentorship um but it was also difficult to find the right kind of mentors um i was sad that there weren't any other you know female entrepreneurs who were mentors there were some uh, you know, mentors who are advisors or had been, you know, in working in big brands or in marketing. But 
I think it's very different. Like it, it wasn't until after the program actually that I started to meet more female entrepreneurs who are, you know, further along in the process. So I could, you know, get more real wisdom from their mm -hmm. real life experience, you know. Were you part of Lean in Beijing, by the way? Uh, I went to a couple of events, but I, I didn't find it. it. It was more of a networking uh, event. But it is for women entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. But they, when I was there, it wasn't, it was more like young women who wanted to be in companies rather than people who were running companies already. I see. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it was the scale was slightly different. Now, obviously now I don't know what it's like. I was there at the very beginning. I did a lot of the 85 broads walks. I don't know if you know those, but um, 85 yeah. broads was a concept in New York. This female CEO enjoyed taking walks and she would talk with um, younger women or women who needed mentorship on these walks and um, found it to be very beneficial for everyone. It didn't waste her time and the to the mentee, it was a great opportunity to get access to, an, you know, a mind like that. But um, back to China Accelerator, one of the, the best things about the program is that our year in particular, half of the CEOs were women. So at least I had a lot of sisters to commiserate with during the, the nice. difficult process, Nice, you know, which was really good. Mm -hmm. Like the China Business Cast and want to get involved? We have special offers for supporters of the show, starting from just one U.S. dollar and up. We have something for everyone. Check out all the different ways to engage at www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. That's www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. Thanks. Um, can you maybe give us some overview about social enterprise and I mean, generally nowadays in China, I mean, social enterprise, I've heard of quite a few and it's being very difficult in China. It's impossible in China to the extent oh, wow. where when I was at China Accelerator about two and a half years ago, you had all of these funds that were coming in, all of these new social enterprises starting. It was the big buzzword. Um, all of these investors like, yeah, you know, next year we're going to start investing and we're really, really excited. And they were talking to me sort of as an advisor about how to, you know, look at projects and how to see the real um, impact of a project, not just the profit, but the social impact. But then they're all almost gone or closed now. And that's just two and a half years later. Mm -hmm. And in large part, it's because the Chinese entrepreneurial ecosystem is not very well developed. I mean, it's, you have these rockets that shoot up and shine and do so well. And every single company that does well ha has very obvious government ties. You have to have major government guanxi to be a unicorn in China, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like across the board. I think everyone knows that. Yeah, no and secret. social enterprises tend to be less profit driven. And so they're never going to be a unicorn anyways. The most they ever hope for is to be a thoroughbred. But mm -hmm. no investor in China cares about thoroughbreds. And investors here all have this goal of making the most money the most quickly. And because money was made so quickly for so long, investors are kind of spoiled about that. You know, I recently right. was advising a Chinese investor who was looking at some projects in America. And he's like, they come to me and tell me these are good projects, but none of them are going to make much money very soon. And I was like, well, right. But that's because if they do make money, they'll keep making money. And it's a, it's a more... They're building a stronger base. Stable system. Yeah, right. Stable. Yeah. Versus these Chinese companies that kind of shoot up and then crash down before you ever know what happened because they weren't, you know, they didn't have a, a good, a good 
foundation. It's a unicorn and then a dead uni- unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a unicorn that's been chopped apart to <laughs> have hot pot with, you know? So, I mean, so you, you don't see any future for social enterprises in China? Oh, I do see a future. It's just not yet. Right. I mean, I, I think what needs um, to happen then? Chi- it, Chinese consumers, Chinese consumers. So, um, or the government, either one can, can really push it. So an example is that when the Chinese government banned free plastic bags in Beijing at shops, instantly the plastic bag usage went down mm-hmm. like, you know, 90% or something ridiculous. You have to look up the exact uh, statistic, but I, I remember it being shocking how much it was because people are so cheap, right? They're like, I don't want to spend another five mao to buy a plastic bag. I'll just reuse my old one or I'll take a bag with me. You know, it happened just later in Israel. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it happened in the UK in 2014 and it went down 73% just since then. So it's um, it's a very obvious example of consumers will make that choice to be sustainable when it's financially in their favor, which requires some government support or government push. Mm-hmm. So China could have way more social enterprises if it offered any sort of tax benefit, which it doesn't. You know, in America, there's a whole separate tax bracket for a social enterprise. I mean, you have to prove your social in- impact, um, which I think any social enterprise should be able to quantify their social impact. Anyways, they can't just be doing good or being green. They have to say, you know, exactly how and why they're yeah. they're they're Something having a positive measure. impact. Yeah. Quantity, quantifiables, they're good. <laughs> but, you know, I think young Chinese people are more and more interested in spending sustainably. You know, so I, I think that transition will happen. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's here now. And there was such, it was such a big buzzword two and a half years ago. Everyone was doing it. Everyone was saying they were running social enterprises. But one of the other problems is a lot of people who were not actually running what I would consider a social enterprise, say they're running a social enterprise because it is somehow doing a little bit of good, but actually all corporations should be doing you know, corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. So that I don't think that counts unless it's an active social impact, you know? So Gailey was, was, was an NGO at the end of the day. It no, wasn't... no, no. We, we were meant to take a 5% fee oh. um, on all transactions. Um, we, we were paid by the NGO itself or by corporations to advise them on their CSR spending. I see. Because so our social impact was actually in getting Chinese people to donate. Because last year, when I decided to give up on Gaily, China had become number one at being the worst in charitable donations at the very bottom of the world giving index, literally the bottom. So it was very, yeah, it was very disheartening to me because it was just like, clearly this is a problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, no one is, no one is doing it, but I, as a foreigner, am not allowed to. So you know, it was, it, it was very emotionally difficult. It was worse than a company failing. It was kind of like, I don't know, it, it was, I was, I was depressed for a long time about it. That's for sure. Oh. But, you know, I, I, I do see hope in China's future. Mm-hmm. If, if for no other reason than they have to, they have to start being, becoming more sustainable. Do you so. think that when you started Gaily, your, somehow your performing skills, uh, helped somehow in building this? Was that, uh, um, performed better because of that somehow? I wonder. Well, absolutely. I can clearly present a business idea very easily. I can stand up in front of, I mean, I just last weekend stood up in front of a crowd of more than 10,000 people 
and, okay. you know, did ridiculous classical poetry with, you know, insurance <laughs> um, puns in it. So, you know, getting up to do the, the pitch get us, event. Get us this video. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I don't know. I'll send you some photos. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... um. It's a skill that I think I, I've always argued because I used to run a theater company in Beijing and I did a lot of corporate training, actually, because um, even in a meeting, the ability to present, um, to hold yourself well is incredibly valuable. Uh, when working with media, your ability to, to respond in an interview intelligently, to have a camera on you and not freak out, it's, it's incredibly important to being comfortable with silence being comfortable with a pause is very important. You know, it's so easy during a, um, a pitch performance to just ramble and get everything thrown together. And investors sometimes, you know, are put off by that. They don't hear the real message because a good pitch deck doesn't actually say everything. It's mostly images, right? A good pitch deck should require the CEO or, or someone else, one of the other founders to to present the idea in a way that is so engaging that it creates ownership with the investor, ownership with the other person. So I, I had a very easy time of getting quality staff mm -hmm. to join the company. Um, I was able to get incredibly talented people to, to sign up for Gailey to buy on to my dream. Um, and that was so wonderful. And uh, I saw other companies really having a difficult time with this. Obviously with sales, my ability to present was really useful. So we did make a lot of sales with corporate, you know, corporate advising for corporate social responsibility, because in China, like in America, uh, corporations get tax benefits for donating a certain amount of money mm -hmm. every year. Um, and so that was potentially going to be very financially lucrative for us. And I, I probably could just do CSR consulting, but for me, that wasn't our social impact. So that didn't fulfill Gailey's goals. Um, so I walked away from it. You can do uh, coaching for other companies. You take coaching? Oh yeah. You do coaching for others? I, I do. I do. I haven't, I don't list it as a thing that I do. So I, I it's only based on people who know me, who maybe recommend it's if number they see 54, a CEO. somewhere there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> if, if, if someone, you know, knows a CEO who's just really struggling or, you know, um, a media person who cannot present the marketing plan. Well, um, you know, they come to me and, And I do trainings with them. And these trainings are often a little ridiculous. So you have to use some physical body uh, workshopping. It's full theater stuff. It's super nerdy theater stuff. I did my <laughs> master's degree in picking opera. So, you know. Yeah, I saw um, some videos while researching. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> show notes, show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting towards the end of the interview. Um, and you did hmm. mention uh, one book that you recommend. So... If you're able to, I want two books that you recommend that influence you and you think others would benefit from them as well. Goodness, there's so many. It is very difficult to, to pick only Dog, two. Right? Yeah, Shoe Dog, if you're an entrepreneur, read that because, I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he's harsh enough in the sense that I think he kind of glosses over the shitty parts of his, his life, <laughs> you know, like the, the extreme pain of not knowing how to pay next month's rent or something, you know, um, mm -hmm. that ability to have to pay all of your staff before you pay yourself as a CEO, you know, as a founder, it's, it's really heart wrenching. And when an investor pulls out 
you know, and, and all that. He does mention a lot about these partnerships betraying and the, the legal issues and all of that. It just, it wasn't quite as horrible <laughs> as I think it could have been, but, um, it's such a, re- it's such an, uh, he wasn't in a, China. A realistic. No. Yeah. Oh, well, he came to China in the end of the book. He does oh. come to China for some factory stuff, but it was working with Japan in the sixties and seventies, which is, it's an interesting look at, you know, um, I mean, it just, I actually am not a fan of the word startup, um, because people pretend that it's not a business then, you know, they think, oh, it's just an idea and I have to sell the idea on. And it's more like a Ponzi scheme then, you know, mm-hmm. get your seed funding. And then the investors from the seed round make their money when you get the, uh, a round and then all, and then B round and all that and it, versus it just being a business that you build. Yeah. So, um, I love the Nike book. It's about, if you want to be a real entrepreneur making a real business, it's about the sacrifices, the pains, but also the joys, a uh, lot of good lessons to be, to be had from that book. Another one I would recommend for anyone interested in doing business in China with Chinese people is, uh, Sangui Yanyi, the romance of the three kingdoms. Mm-hmm. It's uh, based off of the spring and autumn time, the uh, the Warring Kingdoms, the war, you know, uh, Zhangguo, Warring Kingdoms time in, in mm-hmm. China, ancient, ancient history. But it is, it's hysterical because I, once I read that for my Peking Opera um, Masters, it was every day in Chinese negotiations, in Chinese conference rooms, I saw the play being played out over and over again. It's the Amazing. same way... Um, that people negotiate and strategize now. It's it's also related to how they play Go, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's related to Chinese chess, all of that. So if you're doing business in China, I highly recommend reading The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. I don't know which translation is best. I can find out and get it into the show notes because I read it in, in Chinese. That, that would wouldn't help great. anyone. That would be great. But um, yeah, it just, I, I, I found that Many things about Chinese culture have developed and and changed, but there's some fundamentals that are still the same. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, to me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I understand. Okay. We're towards the end. What's the best way to reach out to you with all the social media channels out there? Um, I I think Twitter is still probably the best because it's an open network versus like WeChat is, um, you know, a closed system. So unless you're already my friend or know someone who's my friend, you can't get in touch. Mm-hmm. But on Twitter, my handle is um, iHeartBeijing. <laughs> iHeartBeijing. Though you're yeah, now in Shanghai. Doesn't matter. I still heart Beijing. <laughs> I, I agree with you. The city is not a livable city, but it's an awesome city and I love it. <laughs> well, um, Beijing Ren. Yeah, should Beijing Ren. I'm also... Beijing Ren. Beijing, Beijing yeah. Ren. Oh, right, right, yeah. Gotta, yeah. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> they, they were all pirates in their last life or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Elise, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. It was fascinating. And, no, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Joining. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.